welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and as always, I'm here with Father Chuck. Hello, my, my, my children. Blessings. And Matthew. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> uh, it's going good. It's, it is great to see you guys uh, today. I am so happy to be here. Um, we've got an uh, interesting topic, so let's, let's just kind of dive right in. Um, so, well, first, let me, let me start off with, with a question for the two of you. Um, we all kind of have very similar backgrounds and uh, where we, we grew up, which is yes. in the uh, evangelical church and evangelical families. Um, did you guys ever have to um, try out uh, a, a form of evangelism where you just kind of walk up to people and start talking about Jesus? Uh, I did every single Wednesday of my high school years. Okay, well, oh my gosh, can you, uh, what, what, what was that like? So every Wednesday after school, um, we would get on what was called the Soul Patrol bus because oh, yes, it was that's called, the name of the episode, the Soul it, Patrol. It was called Soul Patrol, which was, um, you know, our going out and witnessing uh, to people. Um, my church hosted every year what they called the Soul Winning School. It was a week-long endeavor to teach you how to evangelize that culminated with going out uh, um, in pairs, two by two, to go uh, out to knocking on doors, going out to public places, and asking people about Jesus. And then um, once you did that, you were part. You were f free to go on Soul Patrol, and Soul Patrol was, again, as a high school student, you got on this bus, you paired up, and um, the, uh, the youth pastor just dropped us off at the um, head of streets all throughout my... Um, uh, well, let's just say I grew up in a neighborhood that people there call uh, call Crime Hills. So wow. this was, uh, as, a, as a pastor of a church now, I'm thinking what the, in terms of insurance, what they were thinking. Like the insurance thing is an issue. But anyway, yeah, so we did that uh, door to door, knocking on doors. And we used um, what was called the Romans Road of Salvation as our method to talk about it. And I have it pretty ingrained in my memory. And I could probably go through the whole spiel uh, on the show. If, so if, if, you had yeah. like a, they had like a script. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Yes. It began. Do you, do you want me to go through it? Um, just a second. Okay. In, in a minute, I do want to go through it. Um, but I just want to ask. So this was this was a this is a regular part of, of going to your church or being involved in your community was every week you went you went literally evangelized to people as an evangelical. Yes. Interesting. Matt, yeah, what I, about yeah? Okay. Like for like six years of my life, I did this on a on a weekly basis. Yes. Wow. Matt, what about you? Was uh, that kind of evangelism sort of a regular part of your community and your church? Um, I would say that it was supposed to be a regular part of our church and community, and that I, I spent most of my time feeling guilty that I did not do that more mm -hmm. um, because I was not in some kind of a weekly thing. But, but yes, I um, have had my experiences of going out with uh, tracks in hand and uh, questionnaires in hand, ask questions that lead people into discussions about faith and where do you think you're going when you die is the, the number one, the, the number one question. Um, so yes, it is something I have experienced. Definitely. I do remember. Um, and, and I do have to say, um, I'm interested to see 
where we go with this discussion because I at, at one point had um, attempted to start a book I was going to do called Repaving the Romans Road and Removing the Potholes of Our Faith was the subtitle. Um, so I'm curious, I'm curious, talking about this topic of, of um, going out and evangelizing and what role that plays or how that works in today's today's world so i just want to say lots to say lots to say matt is a christian marketing genius i i work on it i try (laughs) you should be working for like the inspiration house or something like yes if you want if you want titles slogans and marketing marketing strategies that are about five years behind i'm your man so, but, would you, <laughs> but are would cutting, you, but are cutting edge in the Christian world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I remember, um, you know, I talking about myself personally. I uh, uh, there were there were times where I was encouraged and, and attempted to kind of go out into the world and and proclaim um, uh, Jesus as as savior to uh, the lost souls. I uh, played my own real-life game of redemption. Um, oh, callback. <laughs> um, and, and one of those times, the first time I ever did it, was with Matt. Uh, we, it was the, the fair was in town, and we went and we did the, um, the book of colors, right? That's what it's called? The wordless, the wordless book. book. The wordless book. <laughs> I keep getting it wrong every <laughs> time. It's like, it's the, it's the book with the colors in it, right? Listen, listen. <laughs> let me, let, can I, I just want to interject really quick, JP. Um, I, I, I carried my wordless book with me even like up until like two years ago. Um, <laughs> and it wound up, uh, going through the laundry and I was very oh, dis- no. devastated that it is, it is no more. That it, that it turned all your, your shirts and clothes probably into wordless clothing <laughs> as the colors ran into everything that you had. <laughs> yeah. The color catcher took care of that, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so like, that was my first experience doing it. I was like, I think I was like, 17 years old. Ooh, ooh. sorry, N- not to interrupt, but new, new illustration for a sermon on this topic is the color catcher. Hmm. There's something there about the wordless <laughs> book and how now it's the color catcher. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, that may be a better strategy. Uh, all right. Good, good. <laughs> all right. All right. Don Draper. So 17. Okay. You're at the fair. 17. Yeah. Don, Don Draper. Draper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so yeah, 17 at the fair with Matt. And are there are friends from high school because we've been invited to do this thing. And I'm like, this is my first time. And I'm like, okay, might as well just do it. And like, I just, I bombed, I bombed, I, I bombed like a comedian on stage. They would, somebody would grab a stranger and sit them next to me. And I'd have this book and be like, there's this book and the red is Jesus. And, uh, oh no. <laughs> and I was like, are you Christian? And be like, yeah. Like, okay, you can go. <laughs> we're we're missing out on the opportunity with the new format of video to actually have the wordless book and to I, tell people the colors well, my, and how they work. If mine had not been in the laundry, I could have done that. <laughs> I probably have the bracelet somewhere if I looked for Ooh, it. Oh, the bracelet. There was a bracelet? Yeah. I didn't get a bracelet. Probably, I probably have a bracelet. You know what, JP? I'm going to stop interrupting you, but I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm going to give myself a 30-second opportunity to find it so little people down here in the corner video screen i'm disappearing Bye. okay all right back. well then i'll, I'll just right take back. over and continue talking about my experience go ahead i'll be right back evangelism uh so oh, that was wait can i just let me just say how 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 cute it is that he has to go see if he can find it instead of just using things of the colors that he, as though he doesn't have the colors memorized and can't just 
you know, we were told we should know it so that we can use anything in the room to display oh my the gosh, colors. Really? That's yeah. so weird. That's just so this like, like sales. This package. coffee mug is three of the colors. <laughs> this is like selling timeshare. Um, anyway, you, what you did? Yeah, I know. Okay, <laughs> that's how I know. Uh, okay, so yeah, I, that so I bombed. It wasn't good, and it was it wasn't. I wouldn't say traumatizing, but it was very embarrassing, and uh, I hated every moment of it. I'm like, well, never doing that again, and I and I did for years until uh, I we until college. I joined the uh, missions department and became very interested in, in uh, evangelizing and going out to the world and, and, and teaching people about Jesus and Christianity and stuff. And one of the things that my mentor, who was also head of the missions department, uh, encouraged us to do one night is um, everybody go out into public and just to just do, do your thing, do it. And I was like, oh great, I haven't done this since uh, I was 17. Uh, here we go again. I was just like petrified, like that 17 year old walking around, oh God, I had to talk to somebody about Jesus. And I just remember like, just do it, just do it, JP. And I just walked up to this couple on a bench and I was like, hey, hey you guys wanna talk about Jesus? <laughs> they were like, no. Uh, so that, uh, bombed again and I just I went to Starbucks and I got a coffee <laughs> so, so I'm a little concerned about my bracelet here and trying to remember who gave it to me and what they're trying to convey by the fact that I apparently am doubly evil because <laughs> there's two black beads oh and I don't deserve heaven because the gold bead is missing oh no um so yeah that's depressing but you um it's it's telling you that you are uh, predestined to be a vessel of wrath. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, this is the Calvinist, the Calvinist wordless <laughs> bracelet, and I'm out of luck. Um, we shuffle them and we hand them out, and if you have a gold bead, you're in. If you don't, um, you we're not chosen. Basically, saying <laughs> like your heart was dark and uh, dark with sin, and the blood of Jesus was a shed, um, and uh, you can grow and do all the growth that you want with that green color, but it doesn't matter because you're, you're you have been anywhere. predestined <laughs> to, to go to the dark place. That's the yeah. totally depraved bracelet. The totally depraved wordless bracelet right here. <laughs> can we can um, we make that, can we make that, like if you give us like a hundred bucks on Patreon, that's your gift, is Matt's totally depraved bracelet? We will send will that send to you, you that totally exact one. Bracelet. Or can we just start, or can we market those? Just sell totally depraved bracelets. Well, we'll autograph the first one, and after that, it's for every twenty-five dollar giver. <laughs> Are you gonna? Or we'll make that? it twenty. Every twenty dollar. Oh, we'll put it in something and autograph it. Um, for hey, for a hundred dollar patron, I will have this in glass with a <laughs> thing signed by all of us and a personal message of condolence for the fact that you have the totally depraved bracelet. Um, wow. But yeah, that was basically Father Chuck. I already went through it, but that was basically it. Um, wordless book was just this in a tiny little booklet with pages that were these colors. Um, black was because you are sinful and there's nothing you can do about it. Red is for the blood of Christ and that he died for your sins. White is because after his sacrifice and when you accept him, you will be washed and made white as snow. Green is for the new life and growth that sprouts up in, inside of you and that you now have a chance to take a part in because of the sacrifice he made and the missing yellow bead was for the eternity that you would be spending with him in heaven. Um, yellow, but yellow, I don't, yellow looks like this in case you've never seen yellow. But I have yellow. that opportunity as you can see on my bracelet here. Um, 
and sorry about all the movement, but I got a phone call. So you all disappeared on the screen for a minute. So that's the uh, wordless book slash wordless bracelet slash anything else that's wordless. Um, the colors that it's supposed to go to. Some people add like blue, I think. Yeah, for spirit. Right, baptism. Purple um, for like. Stop adding colors. Royalty or something. But the real one, the, the original is black, red, white, yellow, and green. What I always thought was funny about the adding of the colors, I was waiting until the day it came where it looked like rainbow. And then like everybody just thought it was like a pride bracelet. And then the Christians had to be like, oh, no, no, it's an evangelism thing. Just uh, the the turmoil that would have caused. But um, so, yeah. Well, I, I asked you guys this question because it's to sort of illustrate the point that evangelism is a pretty big part of being a Christian, especially if you're evangelical. Right, because it's in the name. That is also true. Um, recently, there was a study done at, uh, what's the name of the, of the thing? Barna? Barna, which is sort of like a, I guess it's like a Christian think tank. Is that what we want to call it? Yeah, the Barna, the Barna Research Group Yeah, is a, is a Christian um, a stat statistics and research firm and I guess somewhat of a think tank. But yeah, they, they just research a bunch of trends in the religious lives of Americans and sort of interpret it. Right. Well, um, according to their study, very recently, 47% of Christian millennials think that it's wrong to share their faith. And um, I have some things uh, here that I'm going to read if you guys uh, want to humor me for a moment. Sure. Um, I'm probably just going to have like a mid-roll of millennials doing stuff while I'm reading it. So, okay. Almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, which ranges from 95% to 97% among all generational groups. And that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. And that's 94% to 97%. Uh, millennials in particular feel equipped to share their faith with others. For instance, almost three quarters say they know how to respond when someone raises questions about faith and that they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people. This is higher than any other generational group. Gen X, which is at 66%, boomers, 59%, and elders, 56%. Um, Despite this, many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. This is compared to a little over one quarter of Generation X and one in five boomers and elders. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Have you heard about... Uh, Matt seems concerned. No, I feel like I feel like when you just read that, all of a sudden, I just feel like that's such a biased form of questioning to make it sound like nobody thinks evangelizing is what we're supposed to do anymore. Um, it's kind of like when we're, we're talking in our last episode about the the poll that asked if people who have a nine to five job are more satisfied with life, and it's like, well, depending on how you ask that, it's a very different answer. And if you ask somebody, is it wrong to go share your faith with people? I'd be curious to see what the answer is. When you ask, is it wrong to go share your faith with people of other faiths so that you can hope that they'll switch over to your faith? You're going to get a different an answer because the motivation behind it is like, we're trying to convert you over to our faith, which um, is a big thing that I feel like this generation is not into. 
the idea of, hey, we're here to convert you. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're not into going out and sharing their faith and why they believe it and what they believe. It's that the motivation behind it could be different. I'm out here to share my faith with you, but if you accept it or not, that's okay. I'm just here to tell you what I believe, and then I'm here to love on you and keep doing it. Um, so I feel like that question could be very, very biased and make it sound like this generation's awful and headed to hell because they don't want to talk about faith. Um, well, that, yeah. that leads me to my next paragraph. Um, society today also casts a negative light on proselytization that many older Christians do not fully appreciate. As Barna found in research published in Spiritual Conversations in the Digital Age, three out of five Christian millennials believe that people today are more likely than in the past to take offense if they share their faith. That's far higher than any among boomer Christians. Millennials are also either two or three times more likely than any other generational group to believe that disagreement means judgment. So uh, you're kind of onto something and it's sort of a, a lot of the same thoughts that, that I have, that this is kind of, I don't wanna say confirmation bias, uh, but what do you think, Chuck? What do you think about uh, the study, these numbers? Well, I think, I think Matt is, Matt is onto something by pointing out that the question and the way it's asked can affect a bunch of things. Um, at the same time, I find it, I do find it interesting um, and even somewhat hypocritical that they would say that the idea that the idea that sharing one's beliefs or whatever can be, or that proselytizing, let me say that proselytizing is a problem because, I mean, if you just look at Instagram, Instagram is a ton of proselytizing. Also, <laughs> um, what? How do, you, how do you mean? Any kind of product that people are into, they post about it on Instagram, right? They're influencers. I mean, this whole concept of the influencer is basically to be a prosel is to, is to proselytize because I'm trying to influence you into, into doing the kinds of things that I think are valuable and important. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we talk about, I mean, Apple, Apple employs someone called an evangelist. They use that term in the tech world. Really? To help. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's, there are people that, that that's what they I, do. They are evangelists for products. I and, didn't know that. And how do I get the job? Because I feel like I already do that for Apple anyway. So <laughs> I, I should be paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I heard the phrase before. I mean, I could be wrong, but I've heard the phrase before about somebody being an Apple evangelist, but either way, it's a phrase that I've heard several times in, in the tech world is that there are evangelists for, for a product. So it's out there. Um, and it go to me, that goes beyond just, let me tout the benefits of this. It's more of here's why you ought to, move away from Android or you move away from the thing you're using and use the thing that we have. Like we're very comfortable with that when it comes to like our capitalistic thinking. Um, but somehow when it turns into things that are of, you know, real true substance, we are like, no, like, no, I'm not into that. However, we have no problem listening to people who will say that, your religious convictions are outdated and wrong and therefore you need to change them. Right. So we just have this, we, you know, we have these, we have these weird, this weird hierarchy of, 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 I can't think of the word here, but it's like, you know, we, 
we love to say on paper that these things are bad or good or whatever, but then in our actual practice, we completely contradict that all the time, right? Well, like for instance, not, not to espouse this myself, of course, but is for somebody to say that I, you know, that I believe based on my religious convictions, you know, again, not me, but just a hypothetical person says that, you know, my religious convictions, be they certain kind of Christian, certain kind of Muslim, certain kind of Jewish, whatever, that, um, same-sex marriage is not consistent with our religious beliefs, right? Like, even if I say, I don't think it's consistent with my religious beliefs, if, you, if, if, if that's what you want to do, knock yourself out. But if you're going to be part of this religious tradition, you can't be in a same-sex marriage, right? Let's like just sort of make it somewhat generous in that regard. Um, our society would have zero problem with saying, well, that's an outdated and problematic religious view and it's oppressive and it's all this kind of stuff. Not a say basically a society says you need to change and you need to become more pop you need to become more secular or you need to become more progressive or you need to become whatever. Like you have no problem telling people that. But then when we flip the script the other way, it's like, oh no, don't tell me what don't tell me what to believe. Don't tell me, you know, like it's not right to do that. So I, that's my initial thought is that there's a hip there's a bit of a hypocrisy inherent in in the in some of this thinking because again in some places we have no problem with it but in others we do and so there's a lack of consistency there um in terms of you know and and it's and it's tough i think it's tough for us to, to talk about this stuff in an objective sense because we are millennials let's just own that fact well not according to this study we're actually not we're not according to the study yeah actually <laughs> a quick aside uh, I just want to point out that their definition of millennials, anyone born between 1984 and 98, and Gen X is between 1965 and 1983. So you I'm and still, I, Chuck, are... I'm are, still a millennial. So Matt's a millennial. Chuck and I are Generation X, according to this. I, I, will okay. tell you, I will tell you, I wrote a master's thesis on a topic that generated, uh, revolved around the millennial generation. Um, and what I will say is, it is impossible to nail down when it starts and when it ends. Yeah, Nobody will, no matter where you look, it's different what year um, the millennial generation starts. Uh, so yeah, that's like the hardest thing to nail down is what well, is the millennial. And I feel like it's um, it's like trying to talk to somebody about postmodernism, and they want to claim that we're still postmodern. And it's like, no, I feel like we moved past that, but you're so vague about what it means. How can I talk to you about that? <laughs> um, so yeah, millennial generation. Such a, here, JP, here's your favorite word. It's such a broad, broad term. <laughs> well, I think, I think it just gets fuzzy at the beginning and at the end. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, cause I, I've heard generation, like millennial started in 1980, <laughs> all it was 1984. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anything that's fuzzy at the beginning or the uh, the beginning and the end, let's just say it's fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I means it's fuzzy. I'm talking about a term of a timeline, like when it begins, when it ends. But like, I mean, you, there's no doubt that someone born in 1990 is a millennial. Mm -hmm. um, but that's I think that's why that word uh, zenial exists, and that kind of makes me feel zen, even, but, even when I don't, even I hate it. But, but, and to comment on what Father Chuck's kind of talking about, and that's what brought that postmodern term into my head, um, I feel like we had this this way of thinking through the these eras that history kind of go through. We had this way of thinking that like faith is like this, and we have to make people see it and convert to it. And the response to that was the postmodern era, where people are like, whatever you believe is fine. Just believe it, and we're all good. 
Um, and I feel like we've moved past that, but we're still trying to figure out where we are with that because we move past postmodern where everything is okay and whatever you believe is, if it's true for you, then it's fine. And we've moved into this era where it's like, no, I have concepts that I believe are true. Um, and I will hold to them and I will fight for them and defend them. But if you don't agree with them, we can still live together. Uh, but we're in this like weird in-between where we're trying to figure out what that looks like. What does it mean to be firm on what you believe, but still loving and accepting of people who don't accept what you accept? And I feel like that's what our world right now is caught in the midst of, is trying to balance the two. Be like, how do I stand up for what I believe and tell you why I believe it, but be okay if you never accept that. Be all right you disagree and we never actually reach a point where we agree i will still love you interact with you but that doesn't mean i'm going to change what i believe um which is a hard thing to do but i feel like that's where culture is trying to get and we're kind of at this tipping point where we're either going to get it right or it's going to go back to i believe this you believe this so let's fight about it which is what i think you see in politics now um it's one way or the other. There's no in between, and we're not going to talk. And, oh, there's um, plenty of in between, all right. <laughs> but uh, that's another episode. JP, if it's not clear at the beginning and it's not clear at the end, I'm just going to say it's not clear. <laughs> so, so I don't know about the in between. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I feel like we're culture and the millennial generation is trying to move to this this point of acceptance full acceptance without compromising what I believe. And they haven't got it figured out. So a lot of times it's kind of like Father Chuck said, a lot of times it's hypocritical because they're trying to figure it out. But they're like, well, if you don't agree with this idea of full acceptance, but believing what you believe then I can't get along with you. And it's like, well, okay, you're immediately hypocritical because you just said that if we don't agree, we can still get along. Um, so I think it's a hard area to, to figure out. Well, and I think in the Western world, Part of it too is, you know, we, and I, I, we talked about this a little bit back in the Calvinism episode, um, the way that Calvinistic Puritanists, you know, the Puritans were Calvinists and that the way that that has shaped our thinking in America, we still see it today. And I, I think uh, part of it is that we still have this, we, we, we have this language of, you know, sin, but we don't call it sin. Um, but with that attitude of, of you know, because we do public shamings and we do all this kind of stuff that we've done for a long time, we've just transcribed out the religious language and given it new things, right? Like, um, oh, I can't remember, it's an article in the, the Atlantic from like a month ago I shared with you guys that talked about how, um, you know, being woke is the new born again. Um, and that, you know, doing anything that's offensive is sort of the cardinal sin now. If you offend someone, that's like, you know, it's, that's, that's it. Like that's the sin beyond, re, you know, beyond redemption. Um, and so I think part of that stuff is it, we see that reflected in this too, is that as JP was saying that that sense among millennials that to have a difference of opinion is to imply judgment. Um, and I get that. Like, I understand that, right? Because for me to say as a Christian, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. For me to say that I believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven or whatever, um, that's to imply that all the other ways are wrong. And to imply that all the other ways are wrong isn't to imply that those people are wrong and that they're bad and that there's something you know wrong with them as people. 
Um, so I, I get that train of thought. I like I understand that, but that's why, like, I think getting getting back to my 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 earlier statements a couple weeks ago about universalism. I think that's why there's a there's a liberation piece that comes with holding to a to a universalist understanding of salvation, is that um, being a universalist takes the pressure off of me having to say that like you know you're wrong and that that wrongness somehow has an eternal quality to it that means that you're going to suffer hellfire and damnation because you are wrong that instead you can we can say like i believe that you're going to one day understand that jesus is the way the truth and the life i believe that that's going to happen um and so you know you can be a part of that now or get a part of that later. Like, I don't think that that necessarily means then that, you know, you're bad because you don't agree with me. It just means that you're making a different choice now. And, you know, God's grace covers that choice or whatever. Um, like I still, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still articulating a, a little bit more how we talk about yeah. this stuff, but, but I think it's a way for us as Christians to be able to do the work of evangelism but evangelism doesn't necessarily literally have like a life and death component because like, as Matt said, back when it's similar thing, back when I did evangelism, I don't know if it was the same for you, JP, whenever you did, you know, when you bombed as an evangelist is those two was, times. Yeah. The opening question for me growing up was always, um, if you were to die today, are you a hundred percent sure you would go to heaven? Like already we're setting up the conversation that Jesus is a means to an end that you believe in Jesus in order to get pulled out of hell which creates a whole problem theologically because then you're again as i as again i've alluded in previous conversations in previous episodes it's to suggest that jesus is not sufficient that jesus is a means to an end um and so uh, when you have that piece it, it fundamentally alters what we're talking about here and i don't think that that's what evangelism is even intended biblically or traditionally as christians to be now you're getting to what i want to sort of should the conversation too. Yeah. Which is, um, do you think that maybe the reason why so many Christian millennials uh, are shying away from it is not because of these sort of cliche millennial things that outrage other Christians, but maybe millennials are kind of hit to the fact that um, it doesn't really work or that the way we've been kind of pushing evangelizing, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it doesn't work. Like it's, it's, it doesn't do what it's, what you all say it, it does. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you Chuck on, on the reg, like how much did, did, did it work for you? I mean, did, did, what did you, did you see a lot of people come to Jesus when you, when you did your spiel or was it kind of like, did you get a lot of doors slammed in the face or what, what was, I want to know what, what that was like. I, I mean, I had my moments. Um, I had one time where in Jamaica I had like 40 small children share like, the, say the sinner's prayer with me. And it was this really kind of precious moment um, that I'm still trying to articulate theologically right. <laughs> um, um, in my new, in my current understanding of things. Um, but most, I, what I've I told people over the years that, that what I, I had a realization late in the game on this stuff that I met far more Christians doing this than I ever met non-Christians that most of the time when I did door-to-door -door evangelism, I would meet Christians and they would basically just be like, Oh, cool. I'm glad you're out here doing this. Like have a great day. That's just what it all came yeah. down to uh, most of the time. So, I mean, I had conversion experiences. I have some very funny conversion experiences if we want to get into that. Um, but I, um, um, 
but I had, but I would say majority of the time, if, if, if they answered the door, they were Christians of some kind and were just basically like, keep up the good work. Yeah. What about you, Matt? How about your experience? Rephrase the question. Cause I had a million thoughts going through my head <laughs> when you were talking and father Chuck was answering. Did the so wordless I, book ever work? <laughs> did the wordless book ever work? Um, oh, that, that reminded me father Chuck talking about his story of, um, how many, how many prayed it you said it's like, like 40, like 40 and how you're trying to reconcile that with what you believe now, because that was a very spiritual moment. Um, there is, there is an importance to ritual and to, um, doing something marks an occasion as being important and meaningful and standing out. And because of that, I feel like I want to take this moment personally in the midst of our conversation to say, I don't want to talk bad about people who are listening and think that going out with a track and talking to somebody about faith and getting them to say the sinner's prayer is unimportant because I believe that there are these rituals and moments that mark our life and that stand out as being powerful and meaningful and they point towards something bigger. And I think that there is very much times where you walk up to somebody with a track and you start reading it and all that sudden that person just starts like welling up with tears and pour out their heart to you and you have a chance to talk to them. And it leads to them praying the sinner's prayer where they're gonna spend eternity forever because they asked Jesus to come into our heart. I think that's a powerful and meaningful moment for somebody. And I don't want to take away from that. If you're the person that finds joy in going out and doing that, then good for you. Um, do it more. Um, enjoy it more and talk to more people. Um, and if you're somebody who is impacted by that, and that was your introduction into faith, was somebody coming up to you and talking about a track and getting you to pray a prayer, I don't want to downplay that. That's awesome. That moment is incredible right. and meaningful and powerful. And that's why, like Father Chuck said, when 40 people did that, here was a, mo a moment where 40 people, whatever was going on, whatever else was happening in the world, in that moment, 40 people together were saying, this is something we all want to be a part of. And that's powerful no matter what it is. If you're if you stand up for something and 40 people jump up and join you in it, that's a big moment. Um, so for them to do that, it's meaningful to them and it's meaningful to you because you had the, the chance to to be a part of that and to do it. Um, so I don't want to downplay people who find joy in going out and sharing their faith with that and that way. And I don't in any way, shape or form want to downplay or take away from people who found that to be a huge moment in their life where somebody came to them and did that brought a track and asked them to, to pray a prayer um so i want to start with that disclaimer if that's all right and say these are huge they're big and rituals and things that we can do to mark occasions are very important and if it's something that's powerful and meaningful to you then continue to do it um, what I would say is the problem I had to kind of go off of um, JP's question here, was it ever effective with you and how, how do you feel about it now kind of a, kind of a concept? Yeah. Um, the problem I had is when I always felt like it was kind of done um, a lot of times, not all the time, like I said, there's people who genuinely, they just believed that going out and talking to people this way 
was a way to start a conversation that would introduce these people to love and joy and peace and hope. And if that's your goal, if your goal is to introduce them to a life that's meaningful and powerful and has hope and joy, then go out with whatever helps you express that. My problem was the people who it became almost like a manipulating marketing tactic. Right. Um, I hated the questionnaire that I joked about earlier. I hated the way it was started. And because like Father Chuck said, the first question was always, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? That's like 99.9% .9 of the time. That's the question you lead with, with people. And they'll, they'll say, and they'll be like, no matter what they answer, you can start talking from there. If they say, I'm going to heaven, be like, okay, well, why? If they say, I don't believe there is an eternity, say, okay, why? And leads into a discussion. Then I got this questionnaire that was instead like, question number one, have you ever told a lie? Question number two, have you ever cheated? Question number three, have you ever been mad at somebody and said something that hurt them? Question number four, so then are you a sinner? And I'm like, you're manipulating people into seeing and accepting what you want. And I was like, so what you're telling me is the height of the gospel story is if I can trick you into it, then you're still saved. So let's go out and see how many ways we can twist this to get people to listen. Um, I had a huge problem with that growing up. Um, it was just kind of like the, the concept of like, it doesn't matter how you get there. If I can get you to pray this prayer, then it's a mark in my column and it's a jewel in my crown and you'll be in heaven someday. So I will twist whatever I need to, to get you to, to stumble into this. And that, that, that that's a tactic I've got some issues with. So, uh, I do too, uh, because I just, this, this is a thought that just, that's just now occurring to me. It's, it's like pickup artistry. Oh, totally. And like telling people like, do you think you go to hell? Do you ever lie? It's like, it's negging somebody. <laughs> Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, it's 100% like, do you think that lying is wrong? Yes. Well, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, I've told a lie. Then you're a sinner. And it's like, okay, so I'm a sinner. Okay, so you're going to burn in hell. Let me tell you how to not go there. And I'm like, how to show me in the Bible where Jesus goes to people and acts like that. Um, I never, I've never, I've yet to see an example where somebody walked up to Jesus and he said, hey, uh, you a sinner? Okay, let me tell you how to get to heaven. Like, here's, do this, pray this prayer. The person prays and the Bible says that was it. No, I see Jesus confronting people on, on the hard issues of life, but being supportive of the people you would expect him not to be supportive of because the people that he is calling out and like, putting the spotlight on and going, hey, look how wrong you are. I, I challenge anybody who's listening and going, oh, these guys, are, they've lost it. They're gone. Their faith is history because they don't believe in evangelism. And now they're trying to warp how Jesus. I challenge anybody to find one example in scripture where Jesus is calling somebody out and just flat out pointing the finger going, you are wrong. And then not see that at the end of it or the beginning of it, it's a religious leader that he's pointing at. Right. Well, that's, you're making me think, um, I think it's coming up in the gospel of Luke and our lectionary in the Episcopal church, but there's this, there's this passage um, where I just read it recently um, where Jesus is talking about, he's talking to religious folks and he says, the day is going to come where, you know, um, you're going to be invited to this banquet or this banquet is going to be held and you're going to get there and the door is locked and you're not going to be able to get in and you're going to look through the window 
and you're going to see that Elijah's there and you're going to see like all these great, you know, biblical Moses, Elijah, Abraham, like all these people are there. And so you're going to be outside and you'll be, and, th and that's where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, we've taken that phrase to sort of refer to the suffering of hell or whatever, but what Jesus is basically with that whole like weeping and gnashing of teeth is he's saying, you're going to be having a temper tantrum because you're not there. And these and all these Gentiles and sinners and ugly people that you've that you've neglected in your life, they're the ones that are dining with them, and that's what's going to make you upset. That's going to cause you to be having a little toddler tantrum. Um, and again, like so that I mean that's 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 the biblical thing that you're talking about there, Matt. Is that is that you know Jesus Jesus has harsh words for the religious folks who ought to know better. Um, when it's, when he's dealing with the people who are the lost, you know, when he says, you know, the physicians who are the ones who are need are the sick who are in need of physician, he's always very gentle. I mean, he's direct, but he's always gentle with them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, never, I mean, probably... he doesn't condemn the, he doesn't condemn the Syrophoenician woman. You know, he, he makes a comment about how, you know, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now <laughs> is not your current husband, but he's not like, and he's not like, so, you know, go get hitched or anything That's... like that. He's, he's like... That's funny because that's the one, sorry, but I almost interrupted you and the verse that I was going to interrupt you with came from that. <laughs> you yeah. started saying it and I'm like, that's hilarious. But um, but yeah, I mean, probably the verse, because I can picture people already trying to come up with what's the verse where Jesus just like tells a sinner flat out, you're awful, here it goes. And there's a verse that, that probably the closest thing, if you take it out of context, sounds the harshest, okay, go and sin no more. Right. It's the one that sounds worse. But then you read the story and it's the lady caught in the act of adultery thrown in front of him. People are going, should we stone her? Because here's what's going on. And Jesus is like, all right, well, if you don't have sin, then you can throw the first stone. And they all drop the stones and walk away because they realize, crap, we messed up too. We can't throw this. Um, and then he turns to her and they have this discussion. And she says the thing about how she has like five husbands. And how she's messed up basically basically she pours her heart out and says that's yeah i've made a lot of mistakes and he's like okay so just don't do them anymore is basically the context of that verse it's not yeah you're right you're a horrible person here's what you need to do he just goes okay all right it's fine so don't do that like it's basically jesus going it's like that moment in your life where you're like I'm just stuck in this thing that I know is destructive and I don't know how to get out of it. And Jesus is like, it's okay. Just, just don't do it anymore. Like, just stop. It's all right. Stop. Take a moment. Take a breath. It's not him going, you're right, man. You're messed up. You're awful. You're going to hell. You're going to burn. Uh, I can't believe you did that. He's just like, no, 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 no. Well, yeah, two I things. know it's hard. Don't do it. Kind two of a thing. <laughs> so two things. One, um, you made a really great point, Matt, but you conflated two stories. Um, the woman caught in adultery and the Syrophoenician woman are two different characters. <laughs> well, actually, I know. I, I'm sorry. I had to. Um, but the uh, the other thing is, is uh, to me, a similar story to this. Is Ladies the, and gentlemen, the true master of divinity is speaking. Please turn your radio up and pay attention. I mean, I mean, let me turn my computer around here and you can see there, there it is. There's my master in divinity. So, uh, so anyway, the, 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 the rich young ruler, right? This is a story that we love to make. Like, oh, Jesus has dropped up. He's dropped the hammer on this rich guy because um, he says, go and sell your possessions and then you can give it to the poor and then you'll be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the rich guy weeps and walks away. We always interpret this story as though like the rich young ruler is unable to part with his precious wealth. But all we know is that he weeps and walks away. How do we know that he's not 
walking away weeping because he knows that it's a tough thing that he has to do, but he's getting ready to go like take all this junk to Goodwill. We don't know. I, and I love, I love the audacity of us thinking that we're not the rich young ruler in that story to begin with. Of course. We're not the one who comes up with what we believe in. Everybody loves to, I mean, the good Samaritan story, he, the, the guy, the religious leader comes up to Jesus and asks him, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus tells him, well, what does the law say? Love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, okay, go do that. He's like, well, then who's my neighbor? He tells him the good Samaritan and the guy leaves. Like he, he won't accept it because of the issues with Samaritans and he leaves. I love like that story. We all want to say, we're the Samaritan. We need to be the Samaritan. We need to do this. But what we miss is 99.999% of the time. And that one, we're the religious leader, the expert in the law who came up questioning Christ and wouldn't accept. And the one you're talking about, we're the rich young ruler who's so bent on holding on to what we think it should be that we miss the point entirely. Um, and I, I just, I, just to think that we're the heroes of these stories instead of realizing these stories are speaking truth into the fact that sometimes we're the hero sometimes we're the ruler and the point is to figure out in life how to deal with that and to and to move forward and to bring life and joy into the world and to usher in the kingdom of heaven but again i said i wouldn't interrupt and i interrupted you so i'm a liar so i can already answer that question yes on the questionnaire um that's why i have two black beads guys (laughs) (laughs) um the way that Christianity spread initially is kind of amazing, right? Like it started with just a very small group of people. And then within a matter of, in a matter of years, it spread from like the small group of people to millions and millions and millions. Do you, what, what do you think is different between like the founding of the early church and the spreading of Christianity and today? And do you think there's anything people can learn from today that, that these Christian millennials can learn from today that or learn from those well, I mean, I mean, to be a little bit of a curmudgeon, I think that I think that we're it, it shows what degree of comfort we live in that we have the luxury of saying, I don't feel like sharing my faith. Um, it's and it is because Christian Christianity grew in the midst of martyrdom, in the midst of persecution. Um, so it's kind of amazing that that. And we see that still happening today in places where Christians are persecuted, Christianity grows. Um, In places where there is no persecution, Christianity flounders. Um, and And I think part of it is that Christianity as a message truly comes with it, comes with a countercultural oppositional quality. Um, but it also has, I mean, it has sort of a cost, right? Like to believe in a, to be a Christian means something because it could mean that someone's going to pound down your door and kill you. Um, um, it, it could also mean that you're shunned and not able to participate in the, in your civic life of your community. Like you're not going to maybe be killed, but you're, you're not really, but there's, there's, there, there's, there's weight to being a Christian here. It's like, I mean, I hear countless people now who are sort of like, oh, my mom's Jewish and my dad's Christian. So I guess I'm half. <laughs> and it's like, and we, and so, and like, oh, well, do you go to church or temple? Not really. Um, and it, like, and again, like. I think what, the, what you're getting at, Chuck, is that uh, the spread of Christianity was a, was a cultural movement. That was, yeah. just, that was cultural, societal, uh, political, religious. I mean, it hits right. all points. And, and there are a number of and there are a number of sociologists and anthropologists and others who have pointed out that the concept of universal human dignity did not exist 
prior to Christianity. And that Christianity really pushed forward this idea that human life has intrinsic dignity, whether you're a slave or whether you're an aristocrat or anything in between. That's interesting. And so these people, not only who spread this message, it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, join our club. It was, no, like, this is a better way of living. Like, this is better life. This is a better quality of existence. And so, um, and so I think part of it is Christians, one, we were successful in that we've changed the way we think. And so now we're in a place where we conveniently can say like, oh, I can not believe in anything because, you know, it's, you know, life is comfortable and simple and easy um, for a lot of us. Um, but the other is, is that we've lost that connection with how does this stuff transform things? How does it, like, what is the substance of this message and how is it freeing and liberating? Um, rather than, again, making it just a get out of jail free card. Oh, but say this prayer and now you get out of hell. No, it has to mean more than that. And like, as I said, like my, my personal theology is that the hell piece is taken care of. So that even doesn't, that, that stuff doesn't even matter. If we're going to subscribe to this stuff in the here and the now, it has to mean something in the here and the now. And that's the piece that I think we just, we have done a terrible job articulating for decades, if not centuries in this country in how we talk about the Christian faith, because it's all been about avoiding hell. And we forgot to talk about what, how it's good news to the poor and the oppressed. Right. You know, I, I did some, some reading last night about sort of the, the spreading of Christianity and how early Christians were able to convert so many, um, so many people um, in a time when, uh, you know, most people were pagan, which is that they believed in a variety of gods without having to like get rid of like the belief in other gods. So it was just like, the more you right. learn about other gods, the more you just kind of collected them. And so polytheism was sort of formed, but the sort of general pagan belief was that you pretty much at the whim, at the whim of the gods. Right. Like if it rained and it destroyed your crops, it's because that's what the gods wanted to do to you. If uh, the crops were good, that's what the gods wanted for you. Uh, if you were being oppressed by by the the, the, the government, it's the, the gods are on their side. You know, if you if there were victories, it's because God's willed it. Well, the idea of Christianity was that like you don't have to be at the whim of all these gods. You don't have to be at the whim of like the government or the whim of the weather or whatever. Right. And so like the idea, but the condition was you had to get rid of all of them. You couldn't believe them anymore, any of them anymore. Um, so I find that interesting yeah. that there was a, a need that people saw that wasn't just like a spiritual need. It was like a, I mean, it's just kind of like to free your, your mind from this thought that like, I have no control over my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'll try and answer your question, JP, and I'm probably going to get myself in so much trouble with, oh, with people. Here we go. With this oh, one. No. But um, I'm just going to bleep you for the rest. <laughs> yeah, just just cut this whole thing out. No, but you you asked like why why did the church have such a huge impact and expanse at the beginning, and what's different today? Um, I I want to kind of start with the possible. Let's just all take a moment and put on for those of you who who have issues with with this concept put on your uh, imagination cap and just imagine with me here that maybe our concept of what the church and christianity is is wrong and that's why we think it's not expanding as rapidly and as aggressively as it used to because i have this western church 
concept of what church is. And because the numbers aren't growing and I don't see me opening the doors of a church, 20,000 people coming on a Sunday, something's wrong. We're not expanding like we used to. Instead of realizing that maybe it's my concept of what this whole thing is that's off, that Christianity and the church hasn't stopped its growth. It hasn't slowed down on how it's expanding. It's just not looking like what I say it should look like. Um, Because you talk about how cultures back then had this concept of gods and how like, I have to make a sacrifice. And if I do that, then the gods will be happy with me. And if something bad happens, then obviously I didn't give them enough. So let me give them more and that'll make them happy. And then this idea launches, comes marching into history that says, hey, 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 already okay. God loves you. He made you. You don't need to try and win him over. He's already paid the price for you. All you've got to do is live the best life you can live and try and tell other people he loves them and he wants to be with them too. That's it. And also there's a reward about sacrifice. And and Christianity has always been the voice for the oppressed. It's always been the one that's jumped out and said women should be treated better. Slaves should be treated better. Um, The poor should be treated better. And it progresses through history. Like if you read the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see a progression in the way that all the oppressed people of culture are treated. It's a progression that moves forward, um, not backwards. And I would argue that if we're taking part in something that is oppressing people and we're calling it the church and then we're asking, why is this not growing? I would argue because you're not, part of the church because a church is not in the world of oppression the church is in the world of liberation if you're part of a group is saying you don't belong and i want nothing to do with you that's not christ's message so you shouldn't expect it to grow that's not what it is um so i would say i'd be curious um you know we we think oh my goodness the church used to grow so quick if we could just go back to what it was it'd be so much no no things move forward not backward um where we are now what is your concept of church i think is not growing and progressing because if you're going the church is dying that's a term i've heard so many times the church is dying we're seeing the the end of the church era the church isn't gonna die it's not the church that's dying it's our western culture concept of the church that's not working anymore um because it's become a form in many ways it's become a form of oppression come here do this act this way and then we'll talk to you and you'll be okay instead of guys god loves you he made you you were created with worth and purpose and meaning and he's on your side and wants you to tell other people the same thing um that's a message that i think expands grows far beyond what we even realize um but yeah, that's my thoughts. It's maybe, you know, it's not that the church isn't growing. It's that our concept of what I say the church should be might not be growing. That, yeah, that, that, that and probably just sort of the, the function of the church, you know. Uh, it's not, um, well, I don't know if I want to get in. <laughs> I was going to sort of talk about, like, the church working as a cultural movement. And, and to some people, it definitely is a cultural movement. Um, so, yeah. But whatever. Well, I, I love the concept that Christianity and the church 
if you read scripture, you start in Genesis, read till Revelation, you'll hit these things that you're like, holy cow, did it really just say that's okay? Like women shouldn't talk in church. But if you explore the context of when these were written, who they were written to, why they were written, they're always a giant step forward in in the progress of how people should be treated and, and talked to and taught and interacted with. They never move backwards. It's never them marching into a group of people that have unity and going, oh, no, 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 they shouldn't be a part of you. It's always them taking one more step forward in accepting and inviting those people to be a part of the journey. And, um, and I feel like we've lost that in a lot of ways. And I feel like just by saying it, I can already picture how many people I'm ticking off that I know personally, um, because we've got this concept of like, oh, he's just being tolerant and he's jumping into what the world says that we should just accept everybody and love them how they are. And it doesn't matter what they do. It's all okay. And I'm like, yes, and no, like, yeah, okay. It's all okay. But obviously no, sometimes it's not. If you're hurting people, harming yourself, causing disruption and discord, there's something wrong there that we need to address. But for the most part, all I see in scripture is Jesus going, yeah, 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 it's okay. Come with me. And those certain things there, just don't do that anymore. Like, it's not, hey, don't do that or else. It's just come along. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll work on this together. We'll go through it together. We'll get there. Um, just taking that step forward, one step at a time, progressing forward. Um, so listening to Matt talk, it, it, if, if people have been watching me in the corner looking like I'm looking through something, it's because I am. Um, <laughs> it made me think of, um, it just so happened sitting on my desk here um, um, is this book, and I, and I it, just thought of a quote. It used to be a lot easier to pretend like we knew what we were talking about before we were on camera looking yeah. through things. <laughs> I'm like, go ahead, so, carry on. <laughs> so um, I was just thinking this, this is good because it's February, it's Black History Month. Um, and so um, Howard Thurman, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited, um, uh, his opening chapter of the book, he basically goes exactly what Matt was saying. We lament the church. We lament the situation. We've seen how it's been oppressive. We've seen how it's been all these things. And he works through all this to kind of get us thinking about um, thinking about uh, the true message of Jesus, what the gospel is all about. And he ends this chapter about Jesus by saying, and for those who don't know Howard Thurman, he was a mystic, a, a Christian mystic um, living in the 30s and 40s, I think, um, major influence on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement early on. So he laid some of the big important um, ideological roots to that. And he writes to close the, his chapter on Jesus at the beginning of his book. He says, the basic principles of Jesus's way of life cut straight through to the despair of his fellows and found it groundless. By inference, Jesus says, you must abandon your fear of each other and fear only God. You must not indulge in any deception and dishonesty, even to save your lives. Your words must be yea or nay. Anything else is evil. Hatred is destructive to both hated and hater alike. Love your enemy that you may be children of your father who is in heaven. And so again, this conversation about sin, about all of it, it's not so much about, you know, abandon these bad things so that you can get a reward. It's that this stuff, it hurts us too, individually, and that we can be liberated from that. 
And so this message is good news to us because it gives us a way of living that is not going to just get us to heaven, but that it's going to free us of all the crap, the burden, the bullshit that we deal with in our daily lives as humans and put up with all the time that it helps give a sense of, of liberation in the midst of that. Again, this message has to mean something. It can't just be, oh, I prefer this religion over another. And so it's just a matter of preference. No, if it's going to be true, it has to mean something for the here and the now. Yeah, and that to me, and that to me is why I still am so excited into um, my faith and my beliefs and Jesus and the story of the gospel is because the the power behind it is not um, the power isn't hey when you die someday you'll get to go to this fancy place and live in a mansion and be happy. The power of the gospel is right now in this moment I can have peace. And it's because the price has been paid. It's it's already done. I have the opportunity right now to take part in something that can change everything for the better. Um, I can wake up in the morning knowing that my life has purpose. No matter what I'm doing, I'm, I have purpose. I have worth. I have meaning. These are the things that the gospel to me pours into your life and is just like, Life is supposed to be hope and joy and peace and unity and love. And the gospel gives us the opportunity to progress forward in those things and to do it right now. So every single person I come into contact with, I have the opportunity to make their life a little bit better because I bumped into them. That to me is what's amazing about my faith in the gospel is the now, not the accept this and when you die you'll go to heaven no no that's great don't get wrong that's that's great that's awesome the afterlife being in heaven wonderful but what's amazing about it is i'm already interacting with the world on a level that's so much deeper so much more meaningful so much more full of purpose than anything else i could be a part of because i'm interacting with the world knowing that we're here for a reason and i can help to progress it forward and that that's just, I mean, you tell people that you want to walk up to somebody and go, Hey, are you a liar? They're like, no, I'm not a liar. Okay. Well, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. Then you're a liar. Okay. So you're a sinner. All right. Then you're going to burn in hell. Let me tell you how not to. You can do that. And you might get a couple people that that impacts. And if it impacted you, I don't want to doubt, like I said, I don't want to downplay how it felt to you, but how much more meaningful is it to go to somebody and go, Hey, I understand that sometimes life sucks. It hurts. It's it's painful. I understand loneliness. I know what it's like to see despair. I've lost loved ones. I've been confused. But what I found out is there's a joy to be found in the fact that we're all here together. We're all going through this together. And I can make your life a little bit better because I'm here. So how can I do that for you? And how are they not going to go yeah, I want to be a part of that, making the world a better place right here, right now. And then to say, I do this because I believe that the God who created us, this is what he wants us to do. We are placed here to interact and love, interact with and love on each other. Like we're, we're placed here to love each other. We are placed here to bring unity, to bring hope. Um, I know I said love on, and I hate that I said that, so don't say that. Um, <laughs> you said it twice in this episode. But, 
<laughs> but it's what we are it's what we are here for is to relate to one another to bring purpose to each other's life to bring meaning into the world to help those who can't help themselves to give a voice to those who can't speak out to help the oppressed to help the poor to help the weak anything i'm given is an opportunity to then use to help somebody else be a better person because I want to be a better person, not because I am a better person than you, but because I want to be a good person and you want to be a good person. So let's figure out together how to do that and what does it look like? This is a thing that if you share this with people, it's not, it, it's not handing them a track and going accept this or burn. It's saying, here's an opportunity to take part in something right here, right now that can better everything. Do you wanna join me? And that's to me. There's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want? You want fire insurance that when you die you don't go to hell, or do you want something that when you wake up in the morning is like I get to be here. I get one more breath, at least this breath I have right now. How can I use it to better somebody else's life? And if that's not something that people are looking for, I, I, I mean, I don't get it. I feel like the only people that fight against that are people that think they're religious, that think they got it all figured out. The only ones who fight against this concept of how amazing is it to take part in something that can better the whole world. Um, but that's my thoughts. That's it. Let somebody else talk because I feel very <laughs> awkward. <laughs> um, so just to kind of get back to these numbers, am I sort of right to, uh, am, am I understanding the both of you is that maybe we shouldn't really be worried about them, the numbers that, that have been, that have showed up in this research? Because I, the guy I, who, because the, the guy who's the president of Barna, he's, he's very alarmed. I mean, I, I would say, I think, again, it comes down to a flaw in the question, perhaps. I mean, yeah. Not having seen the actual survey myself, I can't vouch for that. But um, you know, we, we're seeing the the results but, of it. But if, but again, if the question itself is presented as worded in the research, um, then I can see there's a flaw there. But the other is it reveals Barna's bias, right? Their their concern is that proselytizing is uh, important and necessary component of the Christian faith, which I mean it is. But how we do it differs based off of our different Christian traditions. I mean, the Episcopal Church, we're always kind of struggling with the fact that we don't have a very good definition of evangelism. We're working on that. Um, um, because for us, it's more rooted, just like with the Catholic Church, it's more rooted in acts of service and betterment right. of, of people and saying, we do this in the name of Jesus as a way to invite you into this life, rather than here are the 12 precepts that you have to follow in order to become a Christian. Well, like, Okay, do you want me to read uh, Kinnaman's statement here, the guy who's head of Barna? Sure. Okay, we must persuade younger Christians that uh, evangelism is an essential practice of following Jesus. The data shows enormous ambivalence among the millennials, in particular, about the calling to share their faith with others. Cultivating deep, steady, resilient Christian conviction is difficult in a world of you do you, and don't criticize anyone's life choices, and emotivism, the feeling's first priority, that our culture makes a way of life. As much as ever, evangelism isn't just about saving the unsaved, but reminding ourselves that this stuff matters, that the Bible is trustworthy, and that Jesus changes everything. Yeah, uh, 
I'm going to flat out just say, yeah, it's just way too biased. Can I just, <laughs> let's just let's just put that out there and be done talking around it. Um, because you say Barnum's very alarmed. So I will say the problem with this number, because you're like, should we be concerned with the numbers at all? Because he's very alarmed. Um, my, my answer, honestly, with these particular numbers from this study, no, we should not be concerned with them. Why? Because he's, an, he's alarmed. He was alarmed, so he set out on a study to prove why he's alarmed. Confirmation his bias. bias. His bias created the numbers that he has in front of him. Because to say that this generation has no interest in sharing what they believe and saying why completely misses the fact that I can't turn on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook without being annoyed by crap by people screaming their beliefs at me. <laughs> So to say that this generation won't proselytize because they don't see an importance in standing for what they believe is nonsense. Right. It so shows going back complete, to what Chuck was saying. Yeah. It shows it shows a complete lack of of awareness with the world that you're living in. Um, you may not agree with what they're proselytizing, but they're proselytizing all the time. Well, I mean, to the point where they can't post a picture of what they're eating without telling you why you should or should not eat it. Like it, it uh Old people, JP. Well, hey, man, it's your generation. Okay, I'm Generation oh, X. I, don't know. I, I think I think that it's I think it's also it, it smacks of it smacks of Generation X and older complaining about the millennials. Yeah. And so let's look for like it. Sort of it, it sort of seems like let's paint the bullseye around the arrow. Yeah, it's it's like, once they're again, not it's literally so confirmation bias. Yeah. It's yeah. it's. Once again, Generation X versus Millennials, it's once again you and JP versus me. I'm just saying. Go ahead, carry on. <laughs> I mean, I would assume I would assume that the that the guy leading the study is probably a boomer, but I could be wrong. He's Generation X, I Oh, he is X. He's, he's okay. pretty young. Okay. But um yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, I think evangelism is important. I don't deny that. I just think that, like as Matt was saying earlier about the church in general, maybe what evangelism looks like for millennials is not the same of what traditionally it's not knocking on doors. It's not, it's not, you know, walking up to people in the public square or whatever it's, it is through sharing things through social media. It is, you know, explaining one's spirituality and sort of being more invitational. It can I be mean, expressing I, yourself it, through art. Right. It is. And I think, and I think, but I mean, one thing I think is important. I think one aspect of evangelism that is uh, crucially important, I think is the, the concept of catechism. I think Christians need to know what they believe and why they believe it. So that if somebody is say, Hey, how do you believe what you believe? I can say why that is, but for the purposes of going out and knocking on doors, I don't know that that's necessarily effective anymore. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like this generation, this is what I, I talked about the fabled master's thesis. This is what it was on is the role, the, the, the role of the church in lineal generation. Um, because as I was getting my master's degree, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, we've lost the millennials. They're gone forever. How do we get them to come back to church? What's wrong with this group? And I wrote a paper that's basically like, no, no, no. What's wrong with you? Let's stop pointing the finger at them and realize it's us that has the problem. Um, and this generation is a generation that couldn't care less. They're all going to tell you and they all listen when you say it, but they couldn't care less about you telling them what you believe and trying to convert them into believing it. Um, this is a generation and I don't want to cross fully into a social, a social gospel concept, 
but this is a generation that wants to see it. If you want to quote unquote evangelize to this generation, then speak about the problems that we have. Um, yes, yes. Speak about, speak about, oh my gosh, here we go. Are we ready guys? I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. Hold on. I'm going to do it. Cause I've wrote, I've so written, about this, one. I've written about this one plenty of times. Oh, I got it in one, one sentence. Are you ready for this? Um, this is for the church. We can't talk see about, you. Talk about climate change and how we were created to take care of the planet that we're placed on. Yeah, stop denying um, it. I'm just saying, we want to say that they don't care what we believe, and I want to say they want to see what you believe. Um, so like Father Chuck said, I'm not saying don't, don't talk about it. Share your faith, talk about all you want, explain why you believe it, why you think it's true, where you came to that conclusion. But more importantly than that, take part in it. Because if I'm telling you I'm here to make the world a better place, to help the oppressed, to reach out to those that are hurting, to provide hope where there is no hope. If I'm telling you that, but I'm not doing it, who gives a crap what I'm saying? I mean, seriously. Um, and then if I sit back and whine because my church isn't growing because of it, I don't, I don't even know what you want me to say to that. Like, get off your butt and do something. And then when you build relationships with these people that you're so desperately trying to get to be a part of your religion, screw that crap. Get out, go and know them and have a discussion about what's meaningful. And I promise you, your faith will be a natural part of the discussion. So quit worrying about it. Very good. I'm so glad I saved that quote for the end. <laughs> Go you and your moderator skills. Uh, <laughs> if you're interested to learn more about climate change, I will leave a link to a Green New Deal uh, description. Oh, and, 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 and I can send you my fun and exciting read of um, environmentally conscious Christianity. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, guys, uh, I think that's a good note to end on. Unless, Chuck, you had any uh, follow-up to what said. Uh, nope. Good. Great. Um, I want to thank. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Right. Right. Hey, it's been a while since I dropped the bomb. <laughs> Give me my moment. <laughs> no, it's just it's just great. I, I it it just it's so satisfying to me that I that I saved that quote for the end because like as soon as I said it, you guys were like, oh, this guy, oh, what in the world? Let me just talk about all this. So it, that's that that's the reaction that I wanted. I'm gonna get. Hold up. I got one more thing while you're closing. So you continue your closing thing. I got one more thing I wanna. I wanna share. Hold on. But go ahead. Just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Father Chuck. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're welcome, sir. Thank you. This was a good topic, and I'm I'm sure it's something we could we could bring up again. Yeah, you know, it, it's I. You know, we do talk about we like to talk about Christian trends, and this was literally a trend in Christianity. So. Yes, and also um, we would like to uh, spread the good news of our podcast. Yes, yeah. evangelists for that. <laughs> We're to, we need we need some masters of divinity evangelists. Is there? I think there there are plenty actually. I think I think our listeners who do listen they do they do share our podcast. I think That's they good. do. They That's good. Well, the, yeah. keep doing that. Keep sharing our. Uh, hey, do you guys want to do a call to action? That's the best part. I'm, I, I'm I, using videos. I have to. I have to do a plug. Can I do a plug? Go ahead, and plug. Plug. Go ahead and plug. Go ahead and plug. Um, this away. one right here. This one. Woohoo! Look at. Oh, what's that? I. 
loved this and it's old it's not new but if you haven't heard of it you should go pick this up this is a bible that instead of red letters which i don't have a problem with putting the the words of christ in red that's not my point but instead of red letters everything that has to do with nature creation and god's purpose for it in green so all the verses that touch on creation and our role with it and nature and how important it is they're green verses instead and um has words by people like Desmond Tutu. Um, incredible, incredible resource. I loved this. I had this for my my master's thesis, my resources, and I, I wanna I wanna it, put that out there. So the Green Bible, the Green Bible Love with it. a burlap cover and soy based ink. Oh, the the cover is. I mean, that's just one. Of, I mean, come on, that's one of the reasons I bought it. I mean, look at this. That's that's actually amazing. pretty awesome. I love it. <laughs> so this is like my unboxing here for YouTube because they love those. Too, and you can see the green verses in there. That's really uh, you cool. Got to get it. Got to get it. Nice, uh, Chuck. Do you want to do the call to action? Uh, what What is that? Uh, okay, a call to action is when you tell your viewers to like, subscribe, ring the notification bell. And to uh, follow us on Twitter and, and everything. Do, do you want to? Do you want to? You're, you're, you're YouTubers now. You have to do it at the end of all of our videos. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, thank you for listening and watching and all of that stuff. Um, and um, um, as John Calvin would remind us, we are predestined to uh, to like, to subscribe, to ring the bell, to punch the TV screen, to throw our remote, to get on our knees and ask Jesus to come into our hearts. Um, <laughs> You know, so just right now, I want you to pray with me. <laughs> There's someone out there praying right. right now. Their, 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 leg is, their leg is healing. All right. Now we're crossing into blasphemy. That's <laughs> true. We kind of are. We kind of are. I was just making fun of Pat Robertson. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Like, All subscribe, right, all that good stuff. No, don't cut it out. We don't cut no, don't cut out. that We're no, no, masters, no. Of the, uh, masters of the <laughs> <laughs> masters of divinity um uh yeah yeah Great. okay like huh. and comment on on uh itunes too we, we to need say some new we need that. some new comments our number oh. one fan out there that we talk to all the time we love you you're like our favorite because you interact with everything do me a favor write a review on itunes for us too because <laughs> even if you hate us write it anyway um because yeah. we need a new one it's been a while guys <laughs> let's get a new review um, so that's my plug for call to call to action. Even though this is airing on YouTube, and well, I'm calling you to action on iTunes. Uh, but no, we'll we'll hammer that out for future episodes. It's supposed to be. But to be where's fun. where's the bell on YouTube? Where is it? Uh, your left, to... your left finger pointer. My right? left. Yeah, your left. Just you point up. You right there. This no, is my uh, right. Okay, left. No, your left. Point at the bell. Hey, if I'm pointing at a bell right now, <laughs> click on it. Um, <laughs> uh, if you see the word subscribe anywhere in this box right here, no, anywhere, stop. right? You if say, it's, you if say, it's over here or say, if it's over here. You say be sure be sure to like and subscribe and leave comments in the doobly-doo. Uh, no, 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 no. You, know, you leave comments and check out the links in the doobly-doo. And I don't then like be sure to ring that bell. See, I'm doing it right because I watch a lot of YouTube. Ring that bell for notifications. I don't, I'm not using the term doobly-doo. I'm pointing. <laughs> I'm not, I don't like it. I don't like, I can't like that. I can't like that. I think it's the Green Brothers that came up with Doobly Doo. Okay. Anyway, well, all right. And the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, he says, God bless you all. God love you. 
That's amazing. That's a Michael Curry bobblehead. I love it. That's perfect Masters of Divinity uh, 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 fodder. Yes. And I don't mean like fodder. Yeah, anyway. He agrees. He, he's, he's smiling <laughs> and happy. Fodder. We got to stop, guys. We All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Join us again next week, and good journey. Good journey. Good journey.